but we're starting Acts. And this series will probably take us a year or better to get through. But we're subtitling the series, A Church on Mission. Our mission as Fellowship Baptist Church, it's, it's not something that we came up with. We worded it the way that makes sense to us and helps us remember it. But the mission was given to us at the end of every one of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus gave it to his disciples. Where he said, go into all the world and preach the Gospel to every creature. Teach them, disciple them, help them grow. Baptize them in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's our mission. And the way we word it here is helping people find and follow Jesus. That's our heartbeat at Fellowship Baptist Church. And that's our mission. So we're going to look at the book of Acts, which is an incredibly exciting book. Because it shows us the potential of a church when they stay on mission. I don't know about you, but I don't think God's done with Fellowship Baptist Church yet. I think the greatest days are ahead of us. I I think that there are not hundreds, but thousands of people in our own community That need to hear the gospel still. I mean the real gospel. And and that need to stop relying on observance to rituals and rules. And they need to put their faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Repent of their sin. And trust him to take them to heaven. That's our burden. That's our mission. And so we're going to see some exciting days. In the life of the early church. For the next, I don't know, 50 Sunday mornings. So don't miss a single one. In November of 2005, there was a campaign introduced by Nike. The campaign was called the Witness Campaign. I'm titling my message today, Can I Get a Witness? The Witness Campaign pays tribute to LeBron James. I know some of you just threw up in your mouth right when I said that name. Hang with me. And the campaign acknowledges the thousands of fans, and there are thousands, probably millions worldwide, who were witnessing his greatness as a young man, his athleticism, his his ability on the court. The campaign was first introduced with the unveiling of a 110 foot high and 212 foot wide billboard Located adjacent to the Quicken Loans Arena in Cleveland, Ohio. This was just a huge billboard on the side of a brick building. Of course, this was a a marketing technique meant to make money for Nike. But it actually serves as a good point for our message today as we start our study in Acts. Because when someone uniquely powerful or gifted comes along... We're fortunate if we get a witness that person in their greatness. I know that LeBron James has his fair share of problems. But no one can deny what they've witnessed him doing for the game of basketball the last 19 or so years in the NBA. He is a one of a kind type of athlete. Yet in the book of Acts, we meet the apostles. Peter, James, John, the whole crew. They were fortunate enough to be eyewitnesses of someone far greater than LeBron James. And that was the Lord Jesus Christ. You can take that picture down now, please. They saw Jesus in all his greatness. We studied the book of Mark. We we took that journey with the disciples. 
they saw him preach and teach. And after he taught and he preached, people literally said out loud, who is this man? Nobody speaks with the authority that he speaks with. They saw him calm storms, boss mother nature around. They saw him heal diseases, cast out demons. But most importantly, they saw his physical body that had died and rose from the grave. And now because they've seen this with their own eyes, it's their turn to be witnesses of everything they saw. That's what the book of Acts is all about. In our text today, Jesus is about to ascend back up to heaven. But he's got one last word for the apostles. And he's going to remind them in essence that he's counting on them to witness for him. To go and tell everyone that they can about what they saw in his death and his burial and his resurrection. Through this message today, we'll learn, this is very important, that the ministry of Jesus didn't stop when he went back up to heaven. It continued through the original eyewitnesses of his resurrection, the apostles, and it continues to this day through the church. Through you and through me who are commanded to be witnesses of God. Can I get a witness? To start our study, let's read the first three verses where the author, whose name is Luke, he also wrote his own gospel, the gospel of Luke. He gives a prologue of the book. Look at verse 1 through 3. The former treaties, that word treaties means the former word. You could think of it like the book, the former book have I made. O Theophilus. Of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. Now, look up here for a second. What is this Theophilus guy all about? Well, this is the same guy that Luke wrote his gospel to. We're not going to look at it, but you could study Luke 1 in your own time. And he addressed his gospel to this same man named Theophilus. This was his original audience. This, this man was a wealthy man. They say he was a ranking official in the Roman government. He was a Gentile man. And he was a new convert. Maybe Luke himself led him to Christ. Here's what happened. Luke wrote his gospel to Theophilus initially in order to disciple this man by detailing the life and ministry of Jesus. But now he writes the book of Acts to continue the discipleship of Theophilus through detailing the ministry of the apostles and the early church. So you could think of the gospel of Luke as volume one. You could think of the book of of Acts as volume two. It's like one gigantic book, one gigantic fellowship, 101, 201, and 301. After this short prologue, Luke gives us some context. What's going on? Verse two. Until the day in which he was taken up, talking about Jesus, after that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles, whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive After his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So Jesus um, is, is, well, I should say Luke is writing with the help of the Holy Spirit. But he makes the point that Jesus had, had already died and he was buried and he rose again. And it's been 40 days. He's been on the earth 40 days by now. And they say, they tell me that, that he has appeared between his resurrection and Acts chapter one. 
in that 40 day span, he has appeared in bodily form at least 10 different times in 10 different situations. So as to prove that he really was alive. He wasn't a ghost, wasn't a figment of their imagination. It wasn't some kind of scheme that, that, that they just thought he died, but he didn't really die. No, it wasn't any of that. He went to links to prove to his apostles and to others that he has been risen from the dead. And we're going to talk about that in, in messages to come because it was the resurrection message that set apart the apostles' message from anybody else's. And, and now Jesus took that 40 days to teach them about the kingdom of God. And in teaching them that he said this in verse four and being assembled together with them, Jesus is together with his apostles. He commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the father, which saith he, you've heard of me for John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy ghost. Not many days hence. So Jesus says, you guys stay here in Jerusalem. What my father promised you is about to come to pass. Now, what did, what did God the Father promise them? What are they waiting on? Well, we, we know in verse 5 that they're, they're waiting on the Holy Ghost. You can read John 14, other parts of the Gospels that, that Jesus said, Okay, I'm about to go into heaven, but don't be troubled because, because the Holy Spirit's going to come. The great comforter's going to come. And it's going to be God in you. It's just like me standing beside you, but he's going to be guiding you and leading you and giving you unction and giving you authority and giving you power. Just, just wait on him here. Well, after Jesus said, wait on me here in Jerusalem, the disciples were still thinking of the kingdom of God. Jesus had been teaching them about the kingdom of God for 40 days. They weren't really thinking about the Holy Spirit. And so when Jesus said, wait here in Jerusalem, I think their minds went to this idea of, hey, maybe it's time. Maybe finally, uh, Jesus is going to inaugurate his kingdom. We're going to wait here in Jerusalem and and it's finally going to be time for Israel to rise up in power and and overthrow the Roman Empire. And so they asked Jesus that. Verse number six. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him saying, Lord, will thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? Now, if you were here during the study of Mark, you, you can remember how, how misunderstood this idea of the kingdom was to the disciples. They thought that Jesus was coming to establish an earthly kingdom, but he was coming to establish an eternal kingdom. They thought that, that Jesus was talking about the kingdom of Israel, uh, of one country, but Jesus was talking about a kingdom that stretched to the ends of the world. They thought the kingdom would come all at one time, but Jesus was actually teaching them about a kingdom that was right now and a kingdom that was not yet. It had been established through his ministry, but it would be expanded through theirs. So Jesus tells them in verse seven, it's not for you to know the times of the season. Stop worrying about that. The father hath put it in his own power. Look up here. Jesus is trying to conduct the world's first missions conference. And the disciples want to turn it into a prophecy conference. The disciples were thinking about a kingdom they wanted to be started. Jesus was thinking about a kingdom he wanted to be spread. So in essence, Jesus is saying, don't focus on when I'll return. No, no, focus on your mission until I return. And that's where we get to the main verse in our text. I would say the entire thesis statement 
vision statement of the book of Acts. Verse 8. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me. Both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. Jesus says, hey, I've got a mission for you to accomplish. It's the mission I started when I came to seek and to save that which was lost. In fact, Luke hinted at this all the way up in verse 1. We read it. He said, the former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus, watch that next word, began both to do and teach. So what Jesus began to do and teach the gospel kingdom work, he was counting on the apostles and the church after them to continue through their witness. Are you following this? This is why we exist as Christians. This is why we exist as a local New Testament church to continue the work of the gospel that Jesus already started. This is why the book of Acts is so exciting, once again, because it gives us this story of these brave and bold apostles who accepted the mission of Jesus, stayed on the mission of Jesus, and through their witness, the Bible says they turned their world upside down. Boy, listen, my heart and study in this book is to inspire our church and motivate our church to take up the mission that was given to the apostles, to stay on mission, to be witnesses of the resurrected Christ, so that through our faithful witness, the community in which we live can be turned upside down for Jesus as well. In my lifetime, I want to see God do amazing things and more amazing things through this church in liberal Kansas and the surrounding communities. But we have to be witnesses. So with the time we have remaining, let me give you five truths about a witness. Here's the first truth. The people who witness. Who is it? It's all believers. Study in verse 8. He says, but ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me. So, so this is the responsibility of every believer. And being a witness, watch, it's not just what you do, it's who you are. Of course, Jesus is talking here in verse 8 to his original apostles who were the eyewitnesses of the resurrection. But, but hear me, you and I, who are believers today, even though we may not be eyewitnesses in the sense that we've seen the physical resurrected body of Jesus, we still have his inspired word. We have the full canon of scripture and, and it's through his word that we have witness of the same things the, apost the apostles had witness of with their own physical eyes. Now you hold the same Bible I hold today. The word of God tells us that Jesus lived a perfect life. The word of God tells us that he died a cruel but necessary death on the cross for our sins. Praise his name that he did. The Bible says that he rose victorious on the third day after he conquered death and hell and the grave. The word of God tells us that he ascended back to heaven where he sits right now at the right hand of the throne of God. And the word of God tells us that one day he will return to make all things new again. We're called to be witnesses of those truths that we've come to believe personally from the word of God. If you're saved today, you are called to be a witness for Christ. Our church is called to be witnesses for Christ. This is not an option to be considered. This is a command to be obeyed. This is not something that pastors 
alone do. This is something that all believers who have placed their faith in a resurrected Jesus, this is what you do. You're commissioned to do this. Ye are witnesses. Notice, secondly, the peoples in need of a witness. Who's that? The nations. Verse 8 says, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and in the uttermost parts of the earth. He's, he's mentioning these different geographic areas. He starts with Jerusalem. That's where the apostles currently were. He says, then it's, I want you to go to Judea and Samaria. Those are the regions surrounding Jerusalem. And then he says this, I want you even to be witnesses to the uttermost part of the earth. That's all the nations everywhere. everywhere. And it's really neat to look at how this exact pattern was fulfilled in the book of Acts through these apostles. See, chapter 1 and verse 4 said they were in Jerusalem. Right? Being a symbol with them, commanding that they should not depart from Jerusalem. That was their headquarters. Go to chapter 2, verse 14. Peter stands with the eleven and preaches the gospel in Jerusalem. Ye men of Judea, all ye that dwell at Jerusalem. That's where his gospel message was first heralded loudly in the power of the Holy Spirit. But then you get all the way to chapter 8 and verse 1. And this church, it was being built. 3,000, 5,000. A bunch of people saved, baptized, added, involved in the church. And then persecution came. It says in Saul, we know him as Paul now, was consenting unto his death. And at the time there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad. Where? Throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Now, I don't think the apostles were thinking, we're going we're gonna to be witnesses in Judea and Samaria because we're running for our lives. But sometimes good things come clothed in unpleasant circumstances. It was persecution that actually enabled the church to spread out and start other churches. It was amazing. But then you get to chapter 13. This is where the uttermost parts of the earth come in. Because now, because of this persecution, it was spread out. There's a church started in Antioch. There's certain prophets and teachers there. there there's Barnabas. There's all, this, all these lists of guys. Go to that next verse. And they ministered to the Lord. They fasted. The Holy Ghost said unto them, separate me, Barnabas and Paul, for the work whereof, uh, whereunto I have called them. And, and then look at this next verse. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. And we read throughout the rest of the book of Acts how Paul and Barnabas with some others spread out and begin to start all these churches. And you get all the way to Acts 28 and you read how Paul would have made it to Rome. Rome was the center of the world. It wasn't the uttermost parts of the earth, but from Rome, they could then launch out. And it was because of of this effort that there is a church planted in liberal Kansas today. If you would have talked to them all the way back then and said, do you think you're going to be witnessing the uttermost parts of the earth? They wouldn't even have thought of liberal Kansas. You understand to them, there wasn't a liberal Kansas, but you understand to them, liberal Kansas, it was the uttermost parts of the earth. We, we wouldn't have even been on their map. Wouldn't have been on their radar. But here's the point. Jesus wants his church to be a witness to those closest to them and to those farthest away. He wants us to witness in liberal Kansas. He wants us to witness throughout our region. He wants us to witness throughout our country. And he wants us to witness throughout the entire world. We are to help people everywhere find and follow Jesus. So let's break this down. It starts right here. It starts in liberal Kansas. 
This is why we're so proactive about being involved in our community. It's why we have these liberal love events where, where we go and, and we love on people and, and provide for people and give to people and, 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 and witness to people in that way. I serve on, on two uh, boards in town. On profit boards, I, I serve on what was, used to be called Leadership Liberal. It's called Lead Now. I'm the chairman of that board. And I'm the chairman of Liberal Baseball Association. Now watch. I, I'm, not, I, I'm not the chairman of Liberal Baseball Association just because I like baseball. I really like baseball. Really, I'm just a control freak and I want anybody else coaching my son. That's the real problem. <laughs> but I like baseball too. But, but, but you know why I like to do that? Because it helps me meet people. It helps me serve people. I don't do that so that they could put my name on a plaque and put it in a dugout one day because he gave this many years of service to our baseball program. You know the fundamental reason why I'm doing that? Because I want them to see Jesus Christ in me. Yeah. And I struggle with that when Potsy makes a bad call and such. So y'all pray for me. This is a struggle of mine. Yeah, go ahead and leave, Potsy. You're good. I'm not involved in lead just because I'm passionate about leadership. I love leadership. I love liberal Kansas. I don't have to live here. I don't have to buy a home here. I don't have to pastor here. I love this town. I love this community. But at the end of my life, I don't want them to look at my involvement in the community and say, he loved liberal. I do that as a means to a greater end. I want them to say, he loves Jesus. Fellowship Baptist Church loves Jesus and they want everybody else to love Jesus. That's why we do that. It's why we run three bus routes every Sunday and Wednesday to pick up children in our community who wouldn't be able to come to church otherwise. We're trying to reach our Jerusalem. That's why we're having a first responders appreciation day on September 11th. So we can not only honor these first responders and their service in our community, but so most of all we could introduce them to the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to witness to them on September 11th. It's why I'm so passionate about providing an excellent private Christian education for three-year-olds through the 12th grade through Little Learners and Fellowship Baptist Academy. Why? To help students and their families in our community find and follow Jesus. It's why we're already making revisions and additions to our church building and our properties because we want to accommodate the growth we've experienced from our witness and prepare for future growth. But our witness doesn't stop here in Liberal. It extends to Judea and Samaria, the region around us, throughout our country. It's why we sent the Collins family to Garden City, Kansas, to revitalize a small, struggling church that needed a young pastor. It's why we've sent two families to start two churches in the state of Arizona. It's why we financially support church planters in Kansas, in the surrounding states, and all around our country. But our witness doesn't even stop there. It should extend to all nations. How are you going to be a witness in all nations? You live in Liberal. How are you going to get that accomplished? Well, we've set up this category of missions giving called Faith Promise Missions. Where last year, we gave over $321,000 to missionaries and supported over 60 missionaries or our mission works. This is above our regular tithe. This doesn't come out of the general account. This is just missions giving. We're very passionate about that around here. In fact, right now, since, since this past April... We are on track to give over 100%, 114% of our missions commitment this year. 
These monies aren't just for local and national missions efforts, though they are and they're used aggressively for that. But they're also used for international missions efforts. Because here's the truth. We all won't go to China, but we're called to witness to them. So we've got to get behind men and women that God does call so that we can help them witness to the nations. I want to urge you, if you're, not, if you're not involved in missions giving, regular, generous missions giving on top of your regular tithe, get involved in that today. Be a part of that $321,000 for worldwide missions. Why? Because you are a witness. How else are you going to witness to the uttermost parts of the earth? People in China don't follow you on Facebook. You can't go preach a message on the street corner in Australia. But you can, you can support a missionary family who is going. So you just mark that on your envelope. Right under the missions category. If you give online, you designate that toward missions giving. And know that when you're doing that, you're being obedient to the mission of God. We've seen the people who witness. We've seen the peoples in need of a witness. Notice third, the power of a witness. Where do we get the strength for this? That's the Holy Spirit. Verse 8 says, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. The word power comes from the Greek word dunamis, which is where we get our English word dynamite. It's really a cool picture because through the Holy Spirit, the apostles were promised dynamite power to be witnesses of the resurrected Christ. Think about this. If anybody needed dynamite power, it was this group of guys. They were unlearned men. They were uneducated men. They weren't Pharisees or Sadducees. They, they weren't experts in the Old Testament law. They didn't grow up memorizing scripture. These guys were fishermen. Literally, when some of them met Jesus, they were in their boat. The nets were in their hand. Some of them were tax collectors. Some of the most dishonest, reputable men in their communities. Socially speaking, they were as ordinary and unlikely as it came in that day. On top of that, these guys were fearful. They couldn't even stick around while Jesus was being crucified, despite everything Jesus did for them. Because they got scared, they ran, and they forsook him. How in the world were they going to withstand the persecution that awaited them for being witnesses of Jesus? Here's how. Through the Holy Spirit. Through the third person of the Godhead. They were going to need a power greater than their own if they were going to get the job done. And praise the Lord, the Holy Spirit empowered them. Through the Holy Spirit, they received knowledge they didn't have. Through the Holy Spirit, they received gifts they didn't possess. Through the Holy Spirit, they received words they couldn't articulate. Through the Holy Spirit, they, that they, were, they were given courage they couldn't muster. And that same Holy Spirit lives in every believer today. It's amazing that when the Holy Spirit comes in and you yield to the Holy Spirit's work in your life, he will transform you. Come on, if if you studied the apostles before Acts, before the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, they were a total wreck, a total mess, always struggling for power, always saying the wrong thing, always intimidated by the situation, letting themselves down, letting Jesus down, letting others down. But boy, the Holy Spirit got on them. They yielded to the Holy Spirit. And boy, that, that, that dunamis, that dynamite power just shone through in their life. I'm here to tell you, when you have the Holy Spirit living in you, you have everything you need to be a successful witness. Everything. It's okay if you don't have a theological education. You have the Holy Spirit. 
It's okay if you're shy. You have the Holy Spirit. It's okay if you don't understand a lot of the Bible right now. You have the Holy Spirit. It's okay if you don't know the the, the answer to every question you might be asked. You have the Holy Spirit. It's okay if you'll face opposition and rejection because of your faithful witness. You have the Holy Spirit. Now, Now, should you understand the gospel clearly so you can articulate it clearly? 100%. Should you be able to defend the word of God to to those that attack it and question it? Yes. Should you be memorizing verses in scripture that might be a help in your witnessing? 100%. But at the end of the day, all of that preparation, all of that rehearsal, all of that polish in your technique must be empowered by the spirit of God. If you desire to, to be a successful witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice fourthly today in verses nine through 11. We had spoken these things while they beheld, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, you men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Fourth heading, the prompting of a witness. That's the return of Christ. The apostles had to be prompted by the angels to get after it. Angels said, guys, why are you standing around? Jesus is gone, but I have you know, he's coming back. So get busy. Stop looking up and start looking out. You're on the clock. Christ is returning. You only have so much time. Go reach the world. And don't we need to be prompted by the same thing every day ourselves? Sometimes we can forget about the imminent return of Christ. We can forget that he could come back today. That's why we need to remind ourselves to stop standing around. We need to look upon the fields of this world, which is full of lost souls that are ready to be harvested. And we need to get to work, church. We need to get out of the house and into the field. We need to stop wasting so much time with building our little kingdoms and start building the kingdom of God. To those that are here today who are so preoccupied with making money that you have no time to make disciples. Let me remind you what the angels reminded the apostles. Jesus is coming back and you're not going to take your money with you. So get to work about what really matters. To those here today who are so preoccupied with building a business or building a portfolio that you've stopped building up the lives around you. Jesus is coming. Get to work. To those here today who are so preoccupied with giving all your extra money to your hobbies and to your dreams and to your vacations and to your plans that you've stopped giving generously and honestly and consistently to the work of the Lord. I will tell you what the angels told the apostles. Stop gazing. Stop standing around. Look onto the fields. Give your money to what matters most. To those here today who are so preoccupied with how bad the world is getting that you stopped trying a long time ago to make it better. Jesus is coming back. Christians, we have no room for self-pity. We have no room for fear. We have no room to huddle up at 310 West Pancake and say, I don't want the world to ever touch us. It's getting scary being a Christian today. Hey, with the power of the Holy Spirit, we have boldness to make a difference. 
God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Get to work. The old hymn says, we'll work till Jesus comes. We'll work till Jesus comes. We'll work till Jesus comes and then be gathered home. We've seen the people who witness. That's all believers. We've seen the peoples who need a witness. That's all nations. We've seen the power of a witness. That's the Holy Spirit. We've seen the prompting of a witness. That's the return of Christ. Look at the last three verses of our text, verses 12 through 14. Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mountain called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. When they were come in, they went up into an upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew, and Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the Lotus and Judas the brother of, of James. Now watch this next verse. When they came together, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. Here's our last point, the preparation of a witness. That's prayer. It's interesting that the disciples, after getting such a clear mission from Jesus, and even after being rebuked by the angels to get after it, they still didn't rush out to preach the gospel. But instead, you know what they did? They rushed to gather together in prayer first. See, here's the pattern set before us in the book of Acts. The church gathers to worship and pray. Then they spread out to witness. They gather to pray and they go out to witness. If there's anything in the books of Acts that we will learn, it's that prayer should always go before witnessing. A.W. Tozer says this, the popular notion... That the first obligation of the church is to spread the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth is false. Her first obligation is to be spiritually worthy to spread it. I believe prayer is the means by which we become worthy or prepared to spread the gospel. Hear me as I close today. Before you go to work tomorrow, you should pray. Why? Because your work is your mission field. God might give you an opportunity to have a conversation about Jesus. Pray first. This is why when you get off work and you're about to go home, I call this clocking into the second shift. If you have kids at home still, you better pray before you walk in. Why? Because as parents, you are commissioned to be witnesses to your children. To evangelize and disciple them in the gospel. You better pray first. It's why you should pray before you come here on Sunday and Wednesday to serve in a volunteer role. Because by serving in your church, using your gifts for the body of Christ, you are helping people find and follow Jesus. That's a lofty responsibility. You need to be prayed up. It's why we gather in the first place. So that our, 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 on our corporate gathering, we can sing and we can hear preaching and we can fellowship believers and we can pray. Why? So that on Monday, our spirits and souls and minds and hearts are full and we're prepared to go out and be witnesses to the world. The implication is this. Don't miss church. Because what happens on Sunday prepares you for Monday. We gather to worship. Then we go to witness. So we're going to close our preaching service today with doing what the apostles did. We're going to continue with one accord in prayer and supplication. Pastor Eli is going to sing a song and I want, I want the band to take their place this morning. You're invited to sing this corporately with them because it talks about how God is mighty to save. 
But as he's singing, the first thing I want you to do before you start singing. So I either want you to write where you're at and write where you're standing, bow your head, close your eyes and quietly pray what I'm about to ask you to pray. Or I want you to come to an altar. I want you to bow and I I want you to pray these things in prayer. Three things. Number one, pray for the power of the Holy Spirit. Pray that it would rest upon you as a witness this week. Pray that it would rest upon our church as we witness as well. Pray for First Responders Day coming up in a couple weeks. Pray for all of our liberal love efforts. Number two, pray for the unreached people groups of the world. Don't forget that as we hear the gospel today, there are still people in the world who've never heard it. And I want you to pray that God would raise up missionaries to go and share the gospel with these people. And I want you to pray specifically that the Bible can continue to be translated into different languages for these people. Number three, I want you to pray that God would help you be prompted this week by his imminent return. Have you forgotten that Jesus is coming back? I want you to pray, God, remind me every day of your return so I will not waste my time with trivial pursuits. But so that I will be a better witness this week than I was last week. I want you to pray those three things. As the music plays, would you stand to your feet? Some will